Well, hello everyone. You've joined us for the talk to you tonight. And hello for everyone from Facebook Live. Welcome aboard. We're going to have a special program starting up in about 13 minutes here with Brother Edward Henry. Uh, the topic tonight is um, Are the New Versions and Translations of the Bible the Word of God? It's either a yes or no answer. <laughs> There's a lot of modern-day versions out there, just a partial list. New International Version, Contemporary English Version, New Century Version, New World Translation, American Standard Version, New American Standard Bible, uh, Revised Version, Revised Standard Version, New Revised Standard Version, Amplified Version, New King James Version, Century King James Version, Third Millennium Bible, Dewey Reams Version, Good News for Modern Man, Today's English Version, Living Bible, Darby Translation, Jerusalem Bible, and the New Jerusalem Bible, just to name a few. <laughs> good evening, Helen Combs. And also, uh, good evening, I said Monty Bello. So, I think this is going to be a, a very good discussion regarding uh, Bible translations and what um, we have to say about it. Um, but Brother Edward Henry has done quite a bit of research on this subject. Um, the question I have is why are so many verses uh, eliminated from specifically the New International Version of the Bible? Now we know that Rupert Murdoch's company owns HarperCollins and Murdoch owns exclusive rights to the NIV. Um, that ought to tell you something. Time Magazine says that Rupert Murdoch is one of the four most powerful people in the world, and for good reason. You know, he he has a media empire that includes 20th Century Fox, Fox Television, um, and the Pope bestowed upon Murdoch the title of Knight Commander of St. Gregory promoting the interests of the Roman Catholic Church. So just realize that after you start doing some research on some of these modern versions of the Bible and who is behind them, it should it should open your eyes quite a bit. I want to thank uh, Peter Nile for joining us as well as Penny Below. Um, and I am a strong advocate of the authorized King James Version of the Bible. I believe that the real issue is, has God preserved his word or has he not? That's the real issue. I want to welcome aboard John from Toronto. Welcome aboard this evening, John. And also, um, I want to welcome all the other guests that have joined us on um, Talk She Live, I mean uh, Facebook Live, including Helen, Isud, um, Bip, Penny, and Glenda. Uh, so welcome aboard all of you, and we'll be starting up with Ed. Hopefully he'll be able to get on with us here in about nine minutes. That's when he's supposed to schedule 
on at 6 o'clock. Now, a lot of Bible verses have been removed. By the way, welcome aboard Andrew Brown, my friend from, uh, my special friend from Wichita, Kansas. Um, have a special place in my heart for Andrew Brown. Um, my sister happens to live in right outside of Wichita in a little town called Augusta. And so Andrew is also associated with the same industry that my brother-in-law, that he's in the aviation industry. And so um, that's really interesting. He's, uh, now, Brother Andrew Brown has sent me a lot of information regarding these um, new versions of the Bible and translations and how they are so tainted, how they're really counterfeit to the Word of God. And we know that Maranatha Music, founded by Chuck Smith, uh, allegedly... Uh, sold in 1988 to Smith's nephew, Chuck Fromm, has branched out to providing NIV Bibles. Their website states that Maranatha Book Publishing was launched in 1999 as we partnered with Zonoran to create the NIV Worship Bible. And of course, Zonoran is owned by Harper Collins, which is the same publisher as the Satanic Bible. Isn't that interesting? So we're going to get into all of that tonight, uh, hopefully in depth, with Brother Edward Henry when he joins us. And he has gone through a lot of these, like a lot of other people have, verse by verse, and shows the verses that have been changed, altered, or literally taken out of the different versions of the Bible. Um, we see also... There's a problem with Westcott and Hort and their association with the uh, with the occult, and so that's another issue. Um, John Burgeon, dean of Westminster, a uh, prominent Greek scholar, said the following about the Vaticanus and uh, manuscripts: the impurity of the text. Exhibited by these codices is not a question of opinion, but of fact. Okay, and he tells about all the times that these corrupted versions have been um, altered and changed, and, and clauses omitted, and everything else. Now, the big argument has always been, of course, that um, the uh, Textus Receptus is a early is a is a more modern version or rendition, and it's not as old as some of the other texts. <laughs> but when you really get into it, you find out there is something behind all of this. Uh, now let's see. I think is that Mark or is that Brother Ed that just joined us? That's Ed. Okay. Good. Good. Not that it wouldn't be great if it was Mark, too, but, well, listen, I'm just kind of giving people a, a summary of uh, why we've decided to talk about this tonight. I have had a lot of people ask me questions about uh, what's behind Westcott and Hort and 
why all, all of a sudden all of these new versions and translations of the Bible popping up. And, and when people ask me, you know, well, you know, what's the NRSV or what's the TMB or what's the TEV or what's the DBY, all this, I don't have a clue on a lot of these. And so anyway, I want you just to kind of get, I know you've done a lot of research on this and, and you see, I'm sure, a lot more of what's behind this than what I do. And so why don't you just give a summary of your experiences and your research in studying these different versions and translations of the Bible and, and why all of a sudden people just don't think the King James Version of the Bible was good enough. Um, are we are we on? Are we recording right now? We are. We are, we are on live. Okay. All right. Um, by the way, should I should I call in earlier? I thought we started at, at seven. Well, we we usually do start at six my time, uh, but right. they let me go on. They let me go on fifteen minutes earlier, and so. It, once I get set up on Facebook Live and we have all these guests that come on, uh, I try to do a little summary be- beforehand uh, so people are kind of prepped of what we're going to be talking about. I mean, we're sitting here with about 25 people on Facebook uh, already, okay? So that's kind of why okay. I, we, can always, we can always alter that. It's not a big deal if you'd rather no, be no, just No, no, no. I just wanted to know. Yeah, okay, fantastic. All right. I'll start right off okay. then, all right? And okay. uh, let, let's talk about, first I want to uh, mention some foundational principles because when you start talking about Bible versions, it's important to understand some of the fo- uh, foundational biblical principles uh, when we're talking about those Bible versions, okay? So first right. of all, let's just start with uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where Uh, It states, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So uh, the Word is integral with God, all right? And he was, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then in John 1.14, we see that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, all right? So... Uh, his word is of utmost importance, okay? Jesus is the word that became flesh, all right? So let's look at what, what that means, okay? Um, God said in Genesis chapter 1, and it was so. So everything he created was through his word, okay? And we know that from Hebrews 11 chapter 3. It says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Okay, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So out of nothing, out of God's spoken word, he created uh, this world, all right? And by the word of the Lord, it says in Psalm uh, chapter 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So first, so it's through his word that he creates. Jesus Christ is the word that became flesh. Now, uh, he also promises, promises to preserve his word. 
And that is of utmost importance that we must keep at the forefront, okay? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Everybody's familiar with that verse from Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, okay? But they're, right. they're less familiar with the book of Psalms, okay, where uh, God states, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25 states that the word of the Lord endureth forever. Um, Isaiah 48, for the word of our God shall stand forever. Uh, Psalms 119, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, God's word, he has promised that he would preserve his word forever all right that is a promise from god now uh the key to understanding uh god's word is this idea of inspiration okay so we know because we're all familiar with the passage in second timothy 3 16 all right all right And, and it states all right well, let's first off with, uh, yeah, uh, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, okay? So we, we read that, and it states, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, so that's 2 Timothy 3.16. Right before that, in 2 Timothy 3.15, it states, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So before God states that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's explained to Timothy, okay, Paul's writing this, it's explained to Timothy that from a child, Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures. And they were able to make him wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So. We know that the scripture he's talking about is the Old Testament, okay? The New Testament had yet to be written. This was a letter written by Paul, which is now part and parcel of the New Testament. And he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So what does this mean? What does this inspiration mean? If all scripture is given by inspiration of God and that scripture is able to make him wise, Okay, what does that mean? Well, let's look at Job 32.8. In Job 32.8, it states, but there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Whoa. So what does that mean? That means that inspiration is by God that gives man understanding. Amen. That is what is meant in 2 Timothy 3.16. That the inspiration given by God is the inspiration that we have when reading Scripture, just as Timothy had when he was reading the Old Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that inspiration is understanding. Understand this. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand God's word, okay? So when we read God's word, 
It is by inspiration. God gives us that understanding. It is a revelation. It is a spiritual experience. It is not intellectual. It is spiritual. It is by revelation of the Holy Spirit. It is by inspiration of God. So what they've done, however, uh, these theologians and now modern pastors have twisted this idea of inspiration. And they have limited inspiration to only be the people who wrote and only those who wrote the original autographs were inspired by God. And that no translation into any other language is inspired. Only the original autographs, okay, which we don't have, okay. And so they have relegated inspiration to a, a group of writings which we no longer have. And so they say that, that these new Bible versions, and see, the reason they're able to get away with this is because they come out with all these new Bible versions. Now, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's start with the attack on God's word. The attack on God's word started in the Garden of Eden. And the, uh, Adam and Eve were commanded that you shall not eat of the trees of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Satan what did Satan, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you should not eat of the fruit that would give you knowledge of good and evil. And um, what did Satan tell him? Satan said, uh, yea, God, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, so that's the serpent. The serpent was actually adding a word, adding a word, the word every, okay, in order to change the meaning of what, uh, of what uh, God said. And Eve right. then... Okay, Eve said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Well, God didn't say they couldn't touch it. God said they couldn't eat it. So there's Eve changing God's word, okay? And then, and then through, this, through this adding and subtracting from God's word, the serpent was able to come up with the conclusion you shall not surely die. And then he was able to beguile Eve into convincing Adam to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so we see that the corruption of God's word started in the Garden of Eden. Now, because God has pres- promised to preserve his word, Satan knows he can't destroy it. He's, he's tried, okay? He cannot destroy God's word because God will preserve his word. So what Satan has done is he, cre- he has created a diversion through all of these different Bible versions, okay? And these, these different Bible versions are based on corrupted texts, okay? The, the corrupted text of, the, of the, 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 this corrupted Greek text made up of basically two transcripts, one called Vaticanus and the other called Sinaiticus, okay? And these, uh, they, they make up less than really 1% of all the extant writings but these manuscripts have been the basis for all of the new Bible versions, the NASB, the New American Standard Version uh, Bible, the, uh, the NIV, which is apparently the most popular version uh, now, uh, the New King James, uh, the Jerusalem Bible, you know, uh, the, you know, all of these different, different Bible versions are all based on the Westcott and Hort uh, Greek uh, New Testament and this Greek New Testament is based on the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus uh, Greek text. Now, 
let's look at that text, all right? Uh, they differ significantly from the majority text. And for instance, the Vaticanus uh, 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 text uh, eliminates uh, at least uh, 2,877 words. <clears throat> and it adds 536 words. It substitutes 935 words. It transposes 2,098 words. It modifies 1,132 words, making a total of 7,578 verbal divergences from the received text, which is known as the Texas Receptus, which is the basis of uh, the King James Version of the Bible. The uh, Synodicus is even worse. It has 9,000 divergences. Now, here's what Dean uh, John Bergen, Dean of Westminster, and he was the preeminent scholar of his time. He's now dead. Uh, and he said the following about these two manuscripts. He said, the impurity of the text exhibited by these codices is, is not uh, a question of opinion, but of fact. In the gospel alone, Codex B, which is the Vaticanus, uh, leaves out words or whole clauses no less than 1,491 times. And he went through and counted each one. It bears traces of careless transcriptions in every page. Codex Sinaiticus abounds with errors of the I and pen to an extent, indeed, uh, unparalleled, but happily rather unusual in documents of first-rate importance. On many occasions, 10, 20, 30, 40 words are dropped through carelessness. Letters and words, even whole sentences, are frequently written twice over or begun and immediately canceled, while that gross blunder whereby a clause is omitted because it happens to end in the same words as the clause preceding occurs no less than 115 times in the New Testament. Now, this is the, this is the, these are the, the, the bases, these two manuscripts are the bases for these new Bible versions. Now, let's just look at one of them. I'll just look at one of them. And this is called the Synaticus. And, and uh, it was discovered by this guy, Constantine Tischendorf, okay? And he discovered it in the mid-1800s. 1859, he discovered it in St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai uh, in, in February of 1859, okay? And it was in a wastebasket, allegedly, all right? And now he was welcomed with open arms by the Vatican, had many councils with them, all right? Now, when, when it became public that he had discovered this supposedly, and he portrayed it as a fourth century manuscript, that's how he portrayed it. However... However, another gentleman by the name of Constantine Simonoids, um, he was a renowned Greek scholar. And when he found out that Tischendorf was running around town saying, hey, I found a fourth century uh, manuscript, ancient manuscript, uh, uh, Simonides said, hey, wait a minute. I wrote that. You got that on the, out of uh, St. Catharines of Mount Sinai? I wrote that. That's mine. And in fact, he invited Tischendorf to a debate to prove the fact that it was his because he wrote certain unique markings in the manuscript that only the person who wrote it would know and he could reveal and point them out uh, to Tischendorf in the debate. Tischendorf refused to appear for the debate and instead, instead used the uh, media arms of the Roman Catholic Church to slander uh, Simonides. Okay? But it's a matter of record that a uh, superior abbot named Kalinkus, who was a resident at St. Catherine's Monastery, came forward and verified 
that he was at St. Catherine's and witnessed with his own eyes Simonides writing Sinaiticus. He saw him write it. He was a witness to it. And furthermore, he stated he was at St. Catherine's Monastery and saw Tischendorf in possession of that very manuscript. And he, he accused Tischendorf of mutilating the manuscript in order to make it more appear to be more aged. He washed it with lemon juice and herbs to lighten the text and make it appear to be an ancient text. So bottom line is these new Bible versions are based on a fraudulent text that is a mid-19th century text that's being falsely portrayed as a 4th century text. And Vaticanus, for its measure, uh, the Vatican won't let anybody see it. The few people that have actually looked at it have, have, have recognized it as a fraud. Well, they realize right then they can't let people actually see it. So they have created transcripts of it, but the actual um, uh, uh, examination of the, of the manuscript, they will not allow. Well, that really so the, answers. The translation that. method used in translating these new Bible versions is, is what is known as uh, dynamic equivalence. That is, they read a passage and they give the sense of what is being said, whereas the translation method used by the King James translators is uh, uh, um, uh, literal uh, equivalence. So they will uh, translate an adverb as an adverb, an adjective as an adjective, a noun as a noun, okay? And they will, and they will put it in the context in which it's written. So they will not use dynamic equivalence. They won't interpose their opinion of what is being, is what is trying to be said. They will, they translated exactly what God said. The, uh, so the Greek was translated in the New Testament into the English and the Hebrew into the English. Uh, and that's how we got the King James. Uh, it is formal equivalence, not dynamic equivalence. It's formal equivalence where they, it's, it's adjective for adjective, noun for noun, verb for verb. So they don't try to read an entire passage and then give the general sense. That's not really a translation. That's called an interpretation. And as, and as you know, the New Testament and the Old Testament are God's will and testament. And so precision in the, the words are important, okay? You can't get somebody's idea of what is being said because then you're getting their interpretation. You want exactly what's being said translated into your language. And there are a lot of missing words uh, in these new Bible versions. Just as an example, the, the NIV uh, is missing 107, uh, about 10% of the Bible is missing in the NIV. There are 170 few, uh, fewer pages on a typical 1,700-page 1700, 1700 uh, King James Bible would be, would be reduced by about 170 pages that's about 10% loss in words. And to do that, to do that brings a curse on those who would do that because if, if you understand how important God's word is, then you realize that the tamper is a very serious thing. And God has said so. Okay. Right, right. He says that he exalts his name above his word. Now, his name, his name is precious to him. Okay. In fact, it's so exalted to misuse his name uh, would, uh, uh, is, is punishable by death, okay? But his word, and you, if you read in Psalms 138 too, 
thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Okay, so he's magnified his word above his name. It's more important than his name. And if you read uh, in Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add unto the word which I commanded you, neither shall you diminish it aught from it. And then we go down to uh, Revelation, and it says, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him us, uh, uh, the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. So there is a curse that is attached to this misuse of God's word, to change God's word. And every word is important. Just as an example, if you look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, and it says, and of thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now, that word seed is important, because when we read in, in uh, Galatians, uh, Paul makes the point that it's the blessing flows to the seed of Abraham, those who have the faith of Abraham. But when the NIV translates that passage in 22.18, it says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth shall be blessed. So we lose, we lose the meaning when that, when that word is mistranslated from seed to offspring. And by the way, uh, you have also uh, some key passages in the NIV which, which indicate that it is blasphemous. I mean, it's not only is it taking God's word away, but it is also blasphemous. It says, for instance, in, in uh, the King James, in Isaiah chapter 14, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Okay, but what do we have written in the NIV? How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Well, who is the morning star? The morning star is Jesus Christ. And we read that in the book of Revelations where he, he states, uh, Jesus calls himself the morning star. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. So he says he's the morning star, and yet the NIV has, they, they exchange uh, Lucifer for the morning star. So they, they have a passage which talks about the destruction of Lucifer, and they interpose that with the destruction of Jesus Christ. How blasphemous is that? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I picked up and I think is very valuable for people to understand when the very first when you first started in the broadcast, you talked about this claim by this guy that he had an older trans uh, version or older translation for he said whatever. Um, now I, I've heard a lot of arguments about this, saying that you know uh, the Textus Receptus is a pretty modern. Uh, translation or version or whatever you want to call it. And all these new ones that are coming out are older. Now, you pretty much annihilated that argument because I've heard this as a main thrust for these new versions because they say that the Textus Receptus doesn't go back far enough to the original Hebrew and Greek as these other uh, manuscripts. And so 
if this can be, and it sounds to me like it's been validated pretty much, uh, if that can be validated, then this that would invalidate all of these claims that these manuscripts are older than the Textus Receptus. Is that correct? Well, yeah, but even even if even if they were older, that does not support their argument because it, it, they make up only a very small percentage of the extent manuscripts. And stop and think about it. A manuscript is actually used, okay? And so when it's right. used, it gets worn out. You have to make another one. All right. right. So it's not it's not how how old the actual manuscript is. It's the faithfulness of that manuscript and the witnesses of its authenticity that you have. I mean, uh, the Declaration of Independence, as an example, one of the originals of the Declaration of Independence, they were going to make a copper plate out of it. And if there's some sort of etching they do. But when they did it, some part of it got got destroyed. OK. And so. What, what you have is they did make the copper impression, and people can look this up historically, uh, and so which means that the reproductions of the Declaration of Independence are actually more faithful than the original, because the original got partially destroyed in making the, the copper plate. See, So this idea that older necessarily means that it's more faithful is a fallacy anyway, okay? Mm. Because these these uh, uh, scripture were used, they were read, they were studied, and they wore out, and you had to make a new one, okay? If you have something that's, that's from the third century, fourth century, that was set aside and is in pristine condition, well, that would suggest it wasn't used. That would suggest it was okay. recognized as a forgery. Okay, now, another, obje another objection that I get an awful lot, and maybe you can help me with this, and this is primarily from, you know, the younger generations, primarily the millenniums, okay, and the me generation. They will say that the old English is not a dynamic equivalence to modern-day language, to modern-day English. And so the only reason that these versions and these translations are necessary is for the new generation to be able to identify with an English language that is dynamic and is changing. And the old English, I even had my sister-in-law tell me that she was not interested in reading the authorized King James Version of the Bible because she said, I'm not interested in all of the old English. I'm not interested in all the these and the thous. I want modern day contemporary English language. What's your response to those folks? Well, first of all, it's a it's a it's a argument based on a false premise. If you read right. the dedicatory to the King James Version, which is the com which is written in the common language of the time, there's not one thee, thou in there. Okay? Thee, thou, and words of that effect are are precise English words that put the reader in the context of what is being said. So for instance, thee would be singular. Ye is plural. You is plural. So you know when, when, when there is a, uh, and, and 
you know, you have the uh, objective and you have the subjective. So you know, is somebody talking about somebody to somebody? And then is it one person or is it many people that Jesus is talking to? Well, you'll know that by looking at the pronoun. All right. So you, those words will tell you what is the context. They are words of legal precision. They are not words of common language. The common language was written in the dedicatory, and you don't see any of that in there. Okay? So that's a fallacy. And the words of precision are important. And I'll give you an example. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 22, okay? So it makes the statement, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, okay? Now, people read that and they go, well, what does that mean, by faith of Jesus Christ? Well, it's much easier to read in the NIV because the NIV says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. Wow, that sounds so much clearer. I can understand that. It's just common language, this faith of Jesus. Well, guess what? Faith of Jesus has a particular meaning. And what Absolutely. it means is that the source of the faith comes from Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a, um, an odd old English way of saying it. It is the way, what it, is a, it is what God is trying to portray is the source of the faith. That is, it is the faith of Jesus. The faith comes from Jesus. Whereas in the NIV, when they, when they translate it with Jesus being the object of your faith, it loses that meaning. Yes. Oh, yes, it's yeah. easy to understand, but now you understand only part of the gospel. Right, It right. hides the rest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, yeah. it's this, you know, uh, so, you know, and, and, and the argument's made, well, that's only done a couple times, but no, every time. There is no faith of Jesus in the NIV. It's missing, okay? It's an Arminian, it's an Arminian Bible. Okay, where the person's faith comes from that person. There is no indication of the source of the faith in those Arminian Bibles. It's missing. Okay, another objection that I get a lot, and I, I'm, I'm not a Greek and Hebrew scholar. I took enough Greek just to be dangerous. And uh, frankly, you know, I think that the Greek is somewhat confusing for people that have primarily spoken the English language because the English language is pretty clear in terms of past, present, and future tenses. And I, I had a, a guy that really came at me and said that, you know, um, the authorized King James Version of the Bible is not clear in its, um, in its translation of past, present, and, and future tenses. And he went into this whole Greek analogy type thing. And I just have not had a problem with that. I, I, he, he pointed out several passages and he even said that certain words were not even in the Bible, like hath or has, uh, as it relates to, to past tense and so on. How do you deal with these young whippersnappers that think that they have all the answers regarding Greek? And some of them you know, can read Greek fluently and so on. They talk about uh, the tenses involved and how it changes the nature of the interpretation of the scriptures. And all of these new versions supposedly have taken care of that. 
Uh, what's your response to that? Well, all these new versions, like I said, are based on corrupted Greek text. So, yeah. the, yeah. I mean, there are, there are passages, whole passages, which are missing uh, from the, the New Testament, okay, that uh, are in the King James, which are gone. How do they explain that? How does that help them? And they're, and they're very slick the way they do it. Uh, in fact, there's a, I think it's called uh, JesusIsLord.com. Um, let, me, let me pull it up here. Uh, this guy has a, yeah, here we go. Uh, it's um, Jesus-Is-Lord.com. And he has a, uh, a website, and he lists the passages where the whole passage is missing completely. So if you, if anybody listening has um, uh, the NIV, and by the way, I went through this exercise with, with um, somebody on, on the phone one time, I was talking to them, and I asked them to look up certain passages, and they went to look them up in their NIV, and they couldn't find them. I said, oh, well, uh, you know, maybe it's a misprint. Let's try this next passage. And I went down the line. And they were gone, completely gone, okay? So they, and what they do is, that's why you see in the NIV, they don't have the verses listed. They do it in paragraph format so they can hide the missing passages. So when you go to Matthew 12:47, it's missing, okay? So you'll go, you go from 12:45, okay? You'll go to 46, and then you'll go to 48. 12:47 will be missing. And then sometimes now they've, they've taken to this, uh, uh, they'll put like, they'll put 1246-47, okay? So they'll say this passage is both of them, and, and it isn't at all. They will have removed uh, the, um, uh, the passage. So Matthew 17, 21, Matthew 18, 11, Matthew 21, 44, okay, okay 23, 14. Uh, and you go down the line, and these, these passages are missing from the New International Version. Now, sometimes they'll reference it in a footnote, okay, but they're, they've just taken them out. Now, with regard to these, these newfangled uh, Greek scholars, they can't speak Greek, okay? They're right. not fluent in right. Greek, um, and I, I would, I, they would struggle to read Greek with any, any precision. So right. they, they know their Strong's concordance. And by the way, Strong was a heathen. He was not a Christian. And he brought with him uh, a lot of worldly ideas with regard to what the Greek words meant. And so people rely on Strong, and Strong was not a Christian. Let me ask you a question. Well, just a, let me, let me ask you a very, a very broad question here, because I know a lot of people are going to be having the same question on Facebook. And the question is this, do you see uh, with these modern versions and translations and so on and all of these supposed Hebrew and Greek scholars and these translators, do you, I mean, we know it's got to be uh, spiritual deception, but as in terms of the the conspiracy, there's a I, there's a guy on a website saying I'm getting sick and tired of all these 
King James Version only people saying that all these people that have been behind these different versions and translations have conspired, okay, to pervert the Word of God. A lot of them have the right motives. They are, they, they're just trying to get to the truth and all of this stuff. Now, as it relates to Westcott and Hort, uh, weren't there, wasn't there a linkage? Didn't they have a linkage to the occult? Yes. In fact, if you, if you read about Westcott and Hort, uh, they were very much, they were nominal Protestants. Uh, but in fact, uh, they, were, they were involved in the occult. Uh, they were they they agreed for the most part with the Roman Catholic theology. Hort, for instance, denied the infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. He did not believe in the existence of Satan. He did not believe in eternal punishment in hell. He did not believe in Christ's atonement. Uh, he did believe in Darwin's theory of evolution. He believed in purgatory. He believed in baptismal regeneration. Uh, he hated the United States and wished for its destruction during the Civil War. Uh, he was a communist who hated all things that were democratic. Uh, Westcott was, was Romish in his beliefs, just as was Hort. Uh, he rejected also the infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. He viewed Genesis' account of creation as merely an allegory. Uh, Westcott did not believe in the biblical account of the miracles of Jesus. Uh, he did believe in praying for the dead and worshiping Mary. And again, he was also a devout socialist. So these guys were in the service of Satan. They were Satanists. And these Satanists are the ones that create the Greek text, which forms the basis of these new Bible versions. And I will tell you right now, flat out, any pastor who preaches from one of these new Bible versions, um, he does not deserve to be a pastor. If he cannot recognize God's word, how can, how can he call himself a pastor? Now, why would Robert... Why would Rupert Murdoch want to own the exclusive rights to NIV? I mean, is that just a money motivator, or is there something uh, much more sinister in his motivation than that? No, it it undermines the gospel. Uh, he he owns right. the rights to the NIV because the NIV is 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 not the gospel. If it, it is right. a uh, Arminian corruption. It is Satan's book. And as I pointed out, uh, they have, you know, they have replaced Lucifer with Jesus uh, and calling for the destruction of Jesus. So, no, it's, it, in fact, by the way, he's also the publisher of the Satanic Bible. Did you know that? I mean, the literal Satanic Bible from the, the uh, Church of Satan. Written, you're, you're, uh, written by speaking, Anton LaVey. You're, you're speaking of Ru, Rupert Murdoch and uh, uh, yeah. Harper Collins. Yeah, he is also yeah. a publisher of that as well. Wow, wow. Well, that explains that. I mean, that, ex that gives some credence to why they would want to corrupt all of these versions if they are really associated with the occult, uh, Westcourt, Westcott and Hort. And, I mean, I've read some of John Burge and Dean and, he comes he comes totally against Westcott and Hort and has nothing good to say about them. In fact, he he pretty well annihilates um, and, and this whole thing about the Codex Sinaiticus. Um, 
that's one thing that John Burge and Dean of Westminster really says is just um, it, it's just a corrupted version. He says that it's just full of corruption and everything. Uh, and that, you know, if you look at the people behind this, Westcott and Hort, and all of the people that were involved in the uh, NIV, uh, their their titles, their associations don't look too good. I mean, a lot of them were involved in the unity Unitarians. A lot of them were involved with Roman Catholics. Um, they were they were the furthest thing from Orthodox Christianity. And if if what you said, and I have no reason to doubt it, if Westcott was actually Romish in his belief, and he rejected the infallibility of the Holy Scriptures, and he viewed the Genesis account of creation as just an allegory, uh, <laughs> how, like you said, how if preachers, if pastors come to realize this, how can they get up in front of their congregation? and pull out an NIV Bible and recommend all their members read an NIV Bible. Because they're hirelings. Yeah. They're hirelings. They, 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 they're trying to placate the crowd. If they create a controversy about this, they will lose, uh, their, they will lose members of their flock. See, they have to play to the lowest common denominator in order to fill the pew pews. It's the old Jesuit strategy. I mean, the Jesuits gained a lot of power by basically uh, for uh, when the when the uh, royal confess uh, the the royalty would confess to them, they'd forgive virtually any sin they had. Okay, tickling their ears with what they want to hear. Well, if they give mm-hmm. them the hard gospel and telling them that God's word is found only in the King James, you're going to lose members of your flock. I mean, there are yep. people who will resist that, and they will say no. You know, it's, hey, give, it's the same give with the, if we, when you preach sovereign grace, you're going to lose members of your flock. These people yep, are right. keen mathematicians. That's what they are. They are keen mathematicians. Most of them, <laughs> and I, I'm not exaggerating to say most, are frauds. They are hirelings. Hey, they are there making a living. And the, give yeah. us a quick primer on the new King James Version of the Bible, because I've found a lot of people that have been King James Version now are jumping over to the new King James Version. Give us the history of that, what brought that about, and, you know, what is the difference between the new King James Version and the authorized uh, King James Version? Well, the new King James, um, again, they fall all over themselves. Uh, to give praise to the accuracy and literal beauty of the of the King James Bible, okay? And right. you read the preface, and they say how wonderful the King James is. And so you think to yourself, well, why are they changing it? Why are right. they changing it then? Well, first of all, they make the claim in the King James that they that their their changes are only stylistic, that it's only mm. slight changes to bring up to date the language. Well, guess what? If that's all they did, they couldn't get a copyright. Did you know that? See, the copyright laws require 
that if something's in public domain, in order for you to get a copyright of a, an adaption of something that's in uh, public domain, you have to make substantial changes. You can't just make stylistic changes. They could never get a copyright. So they're telling the copyright office, hey, and they do have a copyright, by the way, hey, we, we, uh, we need a copyright on this. We need this copyrighted because we, this is not the same as the King James. Yet they tell the readers who buy it, it's essentially the same. No, it's not. Okay? They're liars. They are liars. You want to buy a book from Liar? Okay? So it, they, in order to get a copyright, they had to make substantial changes. So the new King James is substantially changed from the King James. And they, by the way, also base their new King James on the Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Okay? So it's not as bad as the NIV. So right, right. I mean, you, you could you could you could drink a half a glass of gasoline, and you'll still die. <laughs> right. All right. Wow. I can I can see the, I can see the New King James version or any of these versions that have to be copyrighted as a, a major motivation is money. Oh, absolutely. That's what it's about. It's money. I mean. You know, the, anybody, anybody can print the King James. It is in public domain. Right. Right. But in order to protect a publication, they have to have a copyright. In order to have a copyright, it must be an original creation. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. These new Bible versions must be an original creation of the authors. It has to be different from the King James. It has to be. And they have to be different from each other. It's a mess. Okay, wow. give me an idea. There's another one that they've come out with, and it's not, it's not as popular as the New King James. It's called King James 21, okay, the 21st century King James, I guess. And uh, it, again, they're, they're also frauds. But an analysis of it means that uh, there was a change in approximately 60% of the verses in the four Gospels. Yet, in their preface, they also made the same claim to the New King James that it's essentially the same. The beauty of the language we've kept. No, they haven't. No, they didn't. Okay. Um, it's, it's, like, it's like driving on the highway and running across speed bumps. Okay. Can you imagine? And the idea is, well, we only change a few words. Uh, think about this. You're driving through the town, right? And you come to an intersection that used to have a stop sign. Now the stop sign's missing. Well, that stop sign's pretty important to you, isn't it? Because now without that stop sign, you might careen into a car coming across that cross street. It's only one word, one little word. It's just one word. There's lots of stop signs. And so that's not that important at that intersection. Well, yes, it is. Every intersection, every passage in the Bible is important, and every word in that Bible is important. And so they, they make the argument, well, we only took the word out here. We left it in other places. No, it's important everywhere it's put. The God's word is important. Man. Well, you know, 1611 authorized King James Version of the Bible has been around, this is 2018, so 407 years. And really, these people basically are saying that for the last 407 years, 
this book is not authentic. Isn't that really what they're saying? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have to, by the way. They, they cannot, they cannot uh, maintain the authenticity of the King James and say that the others are valid. In fact, they, if you ask them, if you ask them, uh, where is the Bible found? They can't point to, they can't point to it. They wow. say that all of them have errors, that they're all erroneous, that only wow. the original autographs are inspired. You see the lie? Do you see Satan's yeah. lie? Okay. And this, this, by the way, they have to do, they have to do. Once it's accepted, once these new Bible versions are accepted, then there cannot be any inspired Bible you can hold in your hand. The inspired Bible must be an historical text that no longer exists. That way they what do you can do explain, with... well, yeah, there are errors in the King James. And, and you mentioned the New King James. I, I'll give you a passage right off the bat here, reading out of the New King James. This, this is a, an example of how they, 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 they change the meaning of the passage by one little word, a couple little words, okay? So in the, in the authorized version in Acts 17.22, anybody can turn to it, it says, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that you, in all things you are too superstitious, right? That's what he says, you're too superstitious. Well, here's what it says in the New King James. Paul stood in the midst of Arabacus and said, so it's no longer Mars Hill, it's, it's Arabacus, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. So wait a minute. He took, he took words of condemnation, saying you are too right. superstitious, to you are very religious. A compliment. Wow. No. No. He changed, completely changed the meaning. And what so, do you do so with... The, the, yeah, I was going to ask you, there, what, do you do with, what do you do with people that, and I, I've gotten this quite a bit too as of late, and I, I don't know the answer because I haven't studied it in depth. Uh, a number of people that are coming from the reform perspective, uh, they want to attack me from my position of being King James Version only. They say that is too narrow of a view, uh, that there are older uh, or equally valid uh, translations, like for an example in the Geneva Bible, the Tyndale Bible, uh, and I don't know where all those, you know, what whether they all use the Textus Receptus or not. What are your responses to those that say they would prefer the Geneva Bible, for an example? Well, I, I would turn to the Book of Psalms, and where where Christ or God makes the point that that His Word is refined, okay, um, and right. and that's exactly what He has done. He's refined His Word. Yes, the Matthew Bible, the Bishop's Bible, those are all fine translations. I, I, I uh, uh, but the King James uh, refines God's Word, okay? Um, so it, it, it is superior. It is superior to those older Bibles, yes. Right. Well, you know, I, I appreciate now. I'm going to uh, throw, throw it open for anyone who has questions. I think we only have a couple other guests on TalkShoe. Mark, Kennedy, do you have any comments or questions for uh, 
for Ed. Oh, this is all very interesting. How are you guys doing? God bless you, saints. And so, yes, this is this is all very uh, insidious. It's happened over a long, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah, this is part of and, this is know, part I mean, of Satan's plan. You know, a lot of it started around. I remember when the the question started putting people's minds was with, especially with the Baptist and the fundamentalists, was with the Schofield Reference Bible and his footnotes. Because I yeah. remember I'd li- I'd listen to these preachers and they'd say, "Yeah, but you've got to go down to got to go down and see what Schofield has to say about this." And they'd go uh, down to his footnotes. They would preach messages out of Schofield's footnotes for crying out loud. Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah. And and the the truth behind Schofield, he was a Zionist agent. Yeah. He was a front man yeah. for Zionist Jews. He was yeah. paid. He was a he was a con artist. Right. He, yeah. he was a con right. artist who abandons his wife and children. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. Well, we've gotten a lot of comments, uh fifteen different comments by different people on on um uh, Facebook and you know they wanted really what I'm seeing is just a lot of appreciation of the research you've done on this. <laughs> you know we we hear all the other side. You know we hear all the people you know praising these new versions and how readable they are and how much clearer they are and how much under more understandable they are. And what what we're hearing tonight is a totally different story than what the masses have been told and have accepted. And mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm glad that the King James Version is still available. I don't know. <laughs> the way that the NIV's taken over, it may not want to, there may be some day when it'll be hard to get our hands on the King James Version of the Bible, but uh, I'm yeah. sure glad it's still, it's still available on the Internet. And I want to thank well, you tonight. Well, I mean, all, all they have to do, all they have to do is compare passages uh, and they will see that the the corruption. I've been in Bible studies where somebody will will cite a passage, and I'll say, "Well, that's not what my Bible says." It'll say something completely different. And I, I cite the example the um, this idea of being uh, very religious in the New King James. How about this one? Uh, let's see. Uh, the New King James says the ways of the wicked are always prospering. Well, that's not what the King James says. The King James says the ways of the wicked are always grievous. And yeah. I'm, I'm citing yeah. from uh, Psalms chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. So they say exactly the opposite. And then if you turn to the NIV, okay, and you look at Luke 2.33, okay, it states, and Joseph and his mother marveled at these things that were spoken of him. All right? Oh, you know, so how can they, how can they, how can they mess that one up? Well, guess what? Here they go. Uh, the child's, the child's, Father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, wow. Joseph was not his father. God That's right. was his father. Mm. So, I mean, That's these really, little that's changes, really these slight changes, yeah. well, that's uh, an attack on a world of difference. Yeah, that's an attack on the virgin birth of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, and another little thing. How about this one? Uh, going along with Darwin. 
okay, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15:45, And so it was written, it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Well, here's what the NIV says. So it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. So no longer uh, is man created by God. He just became, which makes room for evolution. How nice. Yes. Oh. And then, and then, and then, how about the virgin birth in Isaiah chapter seven, verse fourteen? Uh, the King James says, "Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Well, what does the Revised Standard Version say? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, wait a uh, minute. First of all. It says a virgin in the, in the King James, and they've changed yes. it to young woman. Now, mm. you say, oh, that's the proper translation of that word. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. You know why? Because it's not a sign for a young woman to conceive and bear a son. It's not a sign. Right. How could they, they do that all the time. As we speak, young women are bearing, uh, conceiving and bearing uh, children. So how can that yes. at all be a sign? You know, the, 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 these types of things are throughout the new, these new uh, Bible versions. Well, I appreciate your exploring this with us tonight, and we're kind of coming down to the end of the hour. And I just, I would encourage all of the, the listeners tonight to, I've posted a link on there for everybody. It's uh it shows all the changes from the new. In fact, it's got all the modern translations and all of the omissions and all the deletions from the authorized version of the Bible. And I think that will be helpful uh, for you as well. It also shows all the footnote changes uh, as well. And so anyway, Ed, I want to thank you for all your work on this. It uh, has really opened my mind up to recognize why I love the King James Version of the Bible so much. And I, like you, have often yeah. been in discussion with people, and they'll be all of a sudden they'll be quoting a Bible verse that I know by the I know it's not I know it's not the King James Version of the Bible. And I'll just say I don't know where you're getting that. And that's why I'm getting it from my Bible. And I go, well, it's not it's not King James Version. And they go, what difference does it make? And I go, it makes a big difference. Okay, and so that's what people need to understand. Um, well, yeah. uh, any final comments, uh, Mark, before we uh, give uh, Ed his final uh, his final say here? Any other questions or comments, Mark? Yes, I used to read the NIV, and then I came to the conclusion that it's just about one of the worst translations out there. And so the yeah. NIV, I consider the NIV to be the worst of the worst. Right, right. And, you know, there's a lot of churches that use these other versions too, American Standard, the new American Standard. Uh, you know, I was a, involved in a Reformed Presbyterian church, and they moved from, you know, they hated the King James Version of the Bible. They didn't like King James at all. Okay, and because they didn't like King James, they didn't like the King James Version. And so that ah. was their justification for going going to another version of the Bible. But uh, it's amazing what, what, what prompts people to change versions of the yeah. Bible. In fact, they didn't like it when I brought my King James Version in. They didn't want me to bring it into the church. 
Um, yeah. That's the so, is what that is. That's spiritual wickedness. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then, then another church that I attended for a while, I I would take my King James Version in there, and the preacher approached me one time after the service and said, we as a church have a gift for you and your family. We want to present it to you. And I said, what is it? And he handed me a NIV study Bible. <laughs> okay. And, and I just thought, wow, that's twice this has happened now. So I'll go into wow. church, I'll take my authorized King James Version of the Bible, and all of a sudden, everybody's uncomfortable with, with me. That tells you something right there. Okay. Oh, yeah. That tells you. Yep. Well, anyway, Ed, do you have any final thoughts? And we'll close this out and uh, uh, look forward to coming up with another topic for next Monday night. Any final thoughts, Ed? Yeah, I just want to make the point that inspiration is the knowledge uh, given by God of right. his scriptures. So when it says all scripture is, present tense, by the way, that word is important, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. That means that as you read it, okay, God gives you the inspiration, the understanding of his word. It does not mean that the, simply that the original autographs and the person who, who wrote the Bible uh, that they were, they're the only ones inspired. No, as you read it, you're inspired. And the people who translated, yes, they were inspired. And so and the, um, they, they mock somebody who says, oh, you believe in double inspiration. Well, that's what mm. the Bible says. Yeah, that's right. it is double inspiration. Right. Well, that's good. That's a really good point. Well, that's a good point to end on. So God's the one that reveals his word, his true word, to his people. And uh, that's a good point you're making. Well, thank you, Ed. Oh, and, I want to make uh, one last plug. One last plug. Right. One last plug for this book called Which Bible Would Jesus Use by John McElroy. So if you want to, okay. I think it's an excellent book. Uh, I would recommend it to anybody who wants to get their uh, get an understanding of which Bible would Jesus use by Jack McElroy, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y. Good, good. Well, we'll have to post that. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll have to get of that as well and read through it. Okay, well, thank you, Ed, and have a good evening, and we'll talk with you next Monday night. Okay. All right. But good night, good night, brother Mark. Good night, brother Larry. We'll see you on Wednesday to continue in your book. All right, sounds good. And God bless our audience, each and every one. <laughs>